0: Hi, welcome to the Social Housing Podcast. I'm Lewis Murray from VoiceScape and joining me for this podcast will be John Cocker, Chief Information Officer at Platform Housing Group.
1: Uh, oh.
0: Formed in 2018 following the merger of Waterloo Housing Group and Fortis Living, Platform Housing Group are now a 47,000 property landlord providing services across the whole of the Midlands. Um, John, thanks for joining us. Uh, It's great to have you on the Social Housing Podcast.
1: Thank you for having Um, me.
0: Before we jump straight in, yeah, absolutely. Before we jump in, it would be great uh, to get to know a bit more about you. Could you tell us a bit more about yourself and your role at Platform and what your day-to-day responsibilities and objectives
1: are? Absolutely. I'm I'm Chief Information Officer here at Platform, so... um, my director, it looks after reporting. It looks after all the IT, the infrastructure, the security, uh, the enterprise project management office, all the data engineering side. Um, obviously, quite a, quite a ride, wide remit. Um, but also, I sit on the executive team, so you know, taking part in the, the strategic discussions around uh, financial planning and planning for the business going forward as well. So, you've got quite a few different hats I have to wear on a day-to-day basis.
0: Absolutely. Well, we initially agreed we would do this podcast following um, a really interesting post that you'd put onto to LinkedIn, asking the sector to come together and start benchmarking spends, as well as we as a sector benchmark performance. Um, I wanted to ask, why do you feel it's so important to come together as a sector and be transparent about technology budgets?
1: There's a couple of rationales for it, to be honest with you, Lewis. So first of all, you know, technology is now it's, it's, the, it's the key driver for efficiencies in most organizations, you know, especially in housing, where you get in, you know, really good customer services, where you get in, you know, really effective uh, provisioning and, and logistics. That's all about the technology that you're using. And what I thought it was really important not to look and say, you know, some people are really cheap at technology or some people are really expensive. is to making sure that people are spending you know, the right amount compared to peers as well. And when you have a look at benchmarking, you see, you know, a similar size organisation and I'm spending a third of what they're doing. Am I getting the right outcomes for that? But similarly, uh, you know, an organisation that might spend a huge amount of money doesn't necessarily mean that they're being wasteful because they could have really effective back-end efficiencies with the rest of the business. So it's got to be seen as part of a whole, but I just think it's really important that we at least have that conversation so we can go to our peers and say, you know, you're spending half the amount of us. Are you getting the same outcomes? Is there something different I can do to make sure that I'm providing services to my organisation in a better way?
0: So not just about necessarily benchmarking, but also coming together to share best practice and to uncover new technologies that you can recommend and you can you can talk about and, and, and dig into
1: absolutely i mean i think that, that's the key for any benchmarking not just financial benchmarking but it should be it's a can opener into a conversation about you know you're doing something really well or you're doing something that's better than we are how are you doing it what what can we do to achieve that you know and vice versa as well you know how is it we're all trying to do the same thing and so we're all doing the same things in slightly different ways and you can speak to another housing associations the same size as us But, you know, in one area, really strong and we can take some really strong learnings from them from our side. But we're really strong in another area. And the fact that we're not in competition makes this sector, you know, unique and a really nice place to work. Because I can go and speak to colleagues in different uh, companies and there's that spirit of sharing and spirit that we all want to get better. And the better way for us all to get better is for us all to share that best practice. So I think that's it's, it's a really nice thing about working in the housing sector
0: it is definitely it's always been something that i've noticed you know from from kind of the outside looking in that as a as yeah. a sector everybody really pulls together and everyone's really happy to yeah. um, share yeah. the best practice and I, show I off don't... what they're doing
1: I mean, I used to work in business telecoms, so I'm not telling not tell you the company, but I worked for a big, big provider of telecoms, and you know, they it, it, it would be—you'd get fired for speaking to your uh, to a competitor <laughs> about anything. It just—it was just a completely different mindset when I moved here and moved into a, into housing. And so we said, "Well, go and speak to them down the road and, and share what we've done." I'm like, are they actually going to speak to me? Yeah, you know, it's just like it's quite surprising <laughs> when you have those conversations, but it is really nice.
0: Yeah, and I suppose the the question that that makes me want to ask is, um, you know, especially for larger organizations like Platform, um, when you're doing that kind of benchmark and you're doing that um, shared best practice and you're having those conversations, how easy is it for you as an organization to adopt new technologies and investigate what's out there in the market?
1: I think I'm really looking at platform. We are a large organization and that means that we can have, you know, I've got more bodies essentially. So I've got more capacity to be able to do things and it gives me time for um to, they're giving the capacity to give to my team to to go out and investigate things but one thing i'm really keen on and one thing we do have here in platform is that we have innovation time within our teams as well so we, we say to people look if you have a pet project or you've got some time as long as it's relevant to the business you know you can't go off and do basket weaving or something like that but it's got to be something re- relevant to what we're trying to do be that ai or be machine learning or um iot without any sort of expectations go and have a look at what that technology can do and and, and see what it can do for the business and I really like that being able to to do it and I think in the current climate as well because we're all after resources and a lot of the resources that we're after are quite creative you know in this this dev world and um, developers tend to be a creative type of uh, of people Um, giving people that freedom to be able to you know um, I'm not trying to think of an analogy. Open the Wings or something like that, um, to, to be able to go look outside their core day job and have a look at this new technology. I think it's a really good, helpful uh, place for everybody to be. And I think it keeps people enthused and motivated.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose as you as you give colleagues that opportunity and you give them that sort of freedom to look into new products, new services, new technologies that are available, as as an IT leader yourself, how do you ensure... Um, that whatever you're doing gets the best value for your customers' money, and and why is why might some of those steps that you would take be important for housing providers to do?
1: I think I think what you've got to have is you've got to have a really good relationship with your procurement team or you know your procurement uh, specialist that's in your organisation, however 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 large you are, um, and I think. Engaging with procurement right at the front end of a discussion helps you because they know that buying their job, you know, and understanding value and understanding contracts is, is their role. We know the technology and it's around playing to people's strengths so we engage with our procurement team really really early on projects we understand what the roadmap is we understand what our expectations are we understand what we want to do and we sort of empower them to then go and look and see what technology is in and then we all come together so it's looking at it from a you know several prompt place but that's including the business as well so i know i've worked in places where it are very big dictatorial you know this is a solution go away and, and this is what you're having. That's not the way it should be. The users should be have that voice, you know, procurement from a contract management perspective and from a value for money perspective, technology from a strategic perspective as well, and making sure that we come to the right solution for the business. I'm really keen on that and that engagement side of things. Is there a,
0: is there a particular structure or balance that you have to strike in order to find the right products, get uh, users, You know, bought in and enthusiastic about adopting that new technology and managing a procurement
1: process with with your procurement colleagues. I think it's an it's it's all around business benefit. It's all around value to the business, and I think you can pitch it in very different ways. So there's there's value to the customer, which is absolutely critical in in the world of the you know the Better Social Housing Review and the customer voice across there. Being able to demonstrate that there's a real customer. Benefit to a piece of work is a a key one. Colleague benefit is the other aspect. You know, this makes your life easier with the corresponding aspects of if your life is easier and quicker, that means we can spend more time with our customers. And then there's the obvious one, which is does this save us money? And, you know, every housing association, we've got the 7% rent cap uh, this year. Inflation, you know, it's still not dropped below double digits. So everybody's under pressure in terms of their financial metrics and having value for money at the heart of what you're doing and making sure that, you know, I, I always equate it to, you know, this is an old person's rent, you know, this is their pension money that we are spending. Mm. And you've got to keep that in mind when you're going out and spending things. This isn't just, you know, money just don't grow on trees. There's actually somebody sat in their home, you know, perhaps not very wealthy, perhaps struggling to heat, perhaps struggling to to, uh, get enough to eat. And what we need to do is to bear that level of responsibility as 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 a sector and say, actually, we're going to spend that money wisely. And we're going to understand that this is going to have value to that person. I think that's a really key component of anything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned there the um the rent cap uh, at seven and a half percent. I think it's
1: seven. Across... It's seven, Lewis. I think it's, it's, seven? it's uh, yeah, yeah, I think they say it's seven.
0: <laughs> right, okay. I've got that wrong. Uh so we've got the rent cap. Um and at the same time what we're seeing across the board is that costs are going up significantly more than the rent cap, as, as you sort of rightly pointed out. Um I mean, even if we just go off um you know current rates of, of inflation where, you know, plus 10 percent absolutely and i know that for social housing providers you're probably a bit north of that um because of just the the types of things that you're trading in you know yeah yeah, repairs and assets and all that kind of stuff maintenance um is being particularly expensive um how should how should that in your in your opinion how should that affect it budgets going forward do you feel that that's an opportunity to um increase IT budget to find greater efficiencies. How do you feel that that should maybe change over the next 12 months?
1: Well, and I think this goes back to that that budget benchmarking that we, that we started the conversation with is it's around yeah. spending money that provides value. And so, you know, I think it's not around increasing the budget or de- decreasing it. It's about saying to the business, me spending this £100 gives £120 back in value. And, If if that can be demonstrated, then your budget, I suppose, shouldn't matter because as long as you're providing the corresponding level of value to the rest of the business, the higher your budget, the more efficient your business should be. And therefore, your costs at the back end should be lower. So the IT budget, you know, sometimes can be a bit of a a symptom of the efficiency or inefficiency Mm. of an organization. But I think everything has got to have really robust business cases. And making sure that you are really key, uh, really clear on those financial metrics of what you're going to be delivering in terms of efficiency and you know total cost of ownership. Making sure that you've got really clear return on investment plan, and the benefits piece um, is is such a critical aspect as well. I know in you know in uh, several organisations where you know projects are defined and then they've got a level of benefits that are going to be done and then the project gets delivered everybody breathes sigh relief and then it's forgotten about and the benefits aren't done but that's not where the project should end you should have a really clear you know benefits management process a benefit management policy really clear accountability of who owns that benefit and and again Mm -hmm. it's talking about that engagement piece is having those links with finance that if we've developed this capability, that that particular efficiency is reflected in the budgets as well. So boards, financial people, executives, they can see we delivered that project. Here's the corresponding spend decrease, spend increase, or spend change, and you can equate it back to that particular project. And I think that's a really key discipline that we that we need to have.
0: Absolutely. So from your experience and your Um, your opinion on things it it sounds like you really need to have a very clear joined up way of of working thinking and delivering the value uh, against the against the it budget spend what's the best way for an organization to adopt a really good internal comms
1: to support that i think i I think from from a a structural point of view, I think the business partner approach really works really well. So we're you know, we a financial business partner. We have HR business partner and things like that. So we have that. But it's around having those conversations and being absolutely honest about what's being delivered. And it's about that co-design as well. Um, you know, us in technology, we shouldn't be setting the priorities for the business for the next two to three years. It should be the business saying this is our pain points. This is where we want the technology to be able to drive for us and it's 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 flipping it over a little bit so we are being an enabler of the service rather than a driver of the service service to be honest with you and i think that's that's where things fall down a little bit and i'm sure you've been involved in projects where you know it are doing this to us we don't know why we're doing it what, what you know why, why are we doing this project it's been implemented on us and actually we need to flip that on the head where it's you know this is this is a business project it's got an it element on it but the IT element is just one component of, you know, the change, the communications, the benefits process. It's all wrapped up into one governance piece. So so a clear communication of what the strategic
0: and operational objectives are to ensure then that IT colleagues are able to kind of get behind that um, and, and sort of put all the wood behind the arrow. Everybody knows exactly what they're looking to deliver as, a, as an end goal
1: absolutely absolutely and it and it is the key and it's having those conversations as i said it's it's around engagement and it's true engagement as well it's it's listening to the business listening to the business pain points and and being able to react to those
0: yeah absolutely so what are the main challenges that you're facing in it at the moment
1: <laughs> there's, there's quite a few at the moment. I mean, uh, I'm I've, 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 sorry the, the, to dump that one on you. <laughs> it's, uh, sorry, it's, uh, I mean, you'll, you'll have seen in the papers today and uh, yesterday around the the threat, cybersecurity threat that were they were facing, that the government are warning that they are expecting big threats. Now, again, I'm, I've done quite a few talks on cybersecurity and I'm, I'm fairly confident that the housing sector wouldn't be a primary target for sort of state-sponsored cybersecurity. However, because we are in the sector that we are, we do regular liaison with utilities. We do regular liaison with uh, local government, with central government, and they definitely will be a target. You know, so it's quite possible mm-hmm. that, that the housing sector is going to be exposed because of the level of stakeholders and the type of stakeholders that we have. So cybersecurity is one that keeps me up at night. And I'm sure the same for every CIO, every IT director, every security person. It's the, it's the one risk that we really do. The different, the other side of that is the, is the recruitment uh, environment that we've got at the moment. Key skills are hard to get and they're expensive. And we know that people, you know, if, if you've got skill set in dynamics, for example, you know, you can pick and choose your roles because everybody's after those. And so we're seeing that in uh, wage inflation for people, but also that we need to, as an organisation, making sure that we offer a an attractive package or an attractive environment for people to come and work in because people do have that level of choice. And, you know, it's, it's around making sure that, we offer the incentives that might not be financial that so we can compete with uh, with other organizations you know from a financial perspective, we're never going to compete with a big bank in central London. that's just not feasible, but in terms of our work life balance in terms of our benefits in terms of the culture and that cultural aspect that we can offer, I think you know we can we can do an attractive package, but it is a key risk you know you've got this these number of staff members that could get another job and go away. And, you know, you're then left with a big hole, a big skills gap, a big capability gap that you can't fill. And then you're going out to market. And if you're going out to market a year later, you know, the the salaries have increased, you know, exponentially in that time period. And then you're going back to to board for budgets whilst not providing, in theory, any extra value. You know, you're getting, you know, you've you've got the same capacity, the same skill set. But actually, it suddenly cost us an extra 20 or 30 grand more than it did do. And so the board are quite rightly saying, well, what extra am I going to get for this? And the answer is, well, actually, nothing. This is just the status quo because of the way the wage inflation is going at the moment.
0: Yeah. OK. Now, I understand that that challenge. It seems to be reflected across across the social housing sector. Um, and, and in a few disciplines as well, I suppose not just IT, because we had a conversation with colleagues of, of yours on this social housing podcast uh, a little while back with uh, Mark yeah. Uh He talked about how property care um, invest in in their sort of um, in their engineers and and you know upskilling engineers so that they can grow with them and be part of the be, be part of the culture. I suppose
1: absolutely skills are in short supply you know skills are in short supply and that could that be financial you're right you know uh, trades in short supply uh, development skills in short supply you know it's it is a definite job seekers market at the moment there which prevents its own, prevents its own challenges but on the plus side you've got some really good candidates out there that you can get.
0: So, so there's some advantages as well to the yeah, fact I that mean, the, I... the skills are increasing out there.
1: Yeah I mean not everything a, is, a, is, a, is a negative and I think because what we're seeing is because people are seeing this uh, the, these types of roles being really attractive. People are, you know, retraining, reskilling to move into these roles where there's where there's big gaps. And so hopefully, you know, that that pool will increase. But it's gonna it's gonna take time, Lewis. It's you know it's not gonna happen overnight. But you know, um, the, the key thing for us as a sector and also I, mean, I suppose any sector is having that apprenticeship pipeline and having that pipeline of people coming through. Who are either you know straight from school straight from university or indeed a bit older and looking for a career change and having the capacity to be able to bring those in to do an apprenticeship scheme and and grow your own skills because i think that's going to be the key thing going forward and making sure that you've got that pipeline that you know you've always got this risk of really skilled people finding another role and making sure that you've got that constant uh, role of people being upskilled from internal and then making sure that you can you can succession plan properly
0: and it's great for organizations like um platform to be able to do that you know a 40 um 40 plus thousand property landlord, big it requirements, big teams bringing people in you know it's it, it's it's all about that the sustainability message that um you know that the housing sector as a whole is always looking to promote you know bringing new skills in giving people jobs for life you know giving them the tools that they need to go on and prosper exactly like we do with you know giving homes to people uh, and and those people being able to use those homes as a springboard into um you know social mobility
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and it's it we, we are you know we're, we're, we're social organizations that's what that's what we're here to do and you know any opportunity we can provide, I think we, we have a, we have a duty to, to, to do, I think. And and you're right, yeah, it's a it's it's a great opportunity. And I think this is why a lot of people do work in the social housing sector because you know you're not you're not you're not lining a shareholder's pocket. You know the efficiencies you make and the work that you do. You're seeing nice people in nice homes, and that's you know it's a lovely thing to come to work to be able to do. You know, it's it's there's not many jobs where you come in and 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 see yourselves doing real good. And I think that's the housing sector as a whole. It should be really proud of itself. Absolutely, there's 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 a lot of really positive uh, impact that the social
0: housing <laughs> sector does, and it's a real you know it it is great that it's there to support people in the right ways.
1: Um, absolutely,
0: absolutely. There's one other question I had for you, um, and and you touched on it really, really briefly uh, much earlier on. Was um, about some of the advancements happening in technology, um, yeah. and, and with with technology advancing at such a such a rapid pace, um, and we're seeing you know the mainstream adoption of artificial intelligence. Um, we're seeing Internet of Things devices like smart thermostats are are almost now the norm. How do you see the use of um, data adapting and growing uh, for social landlords in the future i
1: think what a lot of housing associations were really good at you know telling you what happened yesterday and perhaps you know and, and we're getting to a point now saying what's happening today but what we've not really sort of grasped as, as a sector as a whole is tell you what's going to happen tomorrow and i think the hmm. the adoption of iot and you know the devices is, is a, it's a means to collect data. Let's be honest, it's a means to collect data and bring that data into a central point. But you hit on it, artificial intelligence. I mean, you know, twelve months ago, if you'd have said chat GTP to somebody, you know, that has you know looked at you, it looks at you, gone out. But now, you know, you have conversations with people who aren't in the sector or in, in IT that talking about that type of thing, and the way it's moved on very quickly, it's so sort of frightening to think. In 12 months time you know what what's it going to be capable of you know it's going to be embedded into microsoft products going forward um but there's threats there as you can imagine it's on our risk register our operational risk register to understand what threat it could be but obviously it's a massive opportunity lewis as well for us you know if you can have artificial intelligence thinking for itself not only the customer inquiries you know that's that's a given that's a standard technology ai chatbots, ai on on phones that's been around for a while but being able to make decisions, that's going to be the key thing, you know, standard decisions. So customer, I always give an example of, you know, can I keep chickens um, in my back garden? You know, it's a standard decision that the AI can make without having somebody to do it. because It's fairly cut and dried based on those. And as it advances, it's going to be able to make more and more advanced decisions. But the one thing it'll never be able to do is build that relationship with customers and stakeholders. And I think that's, that's the USP that we have in in housing sector is that we build the technology to, to remove all the transactional stuff, you know, the stuff that we don't need to have somebody involved in. And what that's doing is freeing up people to build the relationship with customers to make sure that we actually add value to their lives because we've got time to be able to spend more time with people. So I think that's where the opportunity comes in. I've taken that away from technology, but I'm, you know, I'm a firm believer that everything at the end of it is about people, everything is about customers, everything's about those customer relationships. So the technology is a means to the end to make sure that we get a better relationship with customers.
0: Absolutely. It's it's using technology to to clear the hurdles that Absolutely. separate the the you know the customer from from you the the people who are the organization that is platform housing group.
1: Absolutely and yeah and, and again as we move there which going to what we're using it for now is that um, you know prioritization aspect. So we we've done a piece of work on machine learning. So we had the outcome of the Peabody report, and we were looking at what silent uh, customers were. And so we've got some very clever people on my team start talking about technology. I don't understand. I'll be absolutely honest with you, and the have built in there, um, a, a piece of work, we're using machine learning for silent tenant. And basically look at all the variables and then it gives you a probability of that customer being a silent tenant. And that allows our housing teams right. then to focus on those people for tenancy health checks. You know, So instead of having to go blank sheet of paper, we're gonna to have to visit everybody. We've got some level of prioritization of need. And it's the same with IoT, you mentioned IoT. We're putting those in properties. We can see with that data, you know, this property is losing, you know, one degree of heat every two minutes or something like that. We can see its insulation. We can prioritize using that information. So there's an immediate use for that type of thing without even looking for the future. We can we can do more with less because we can target the right people, the right properties at the right time.
0: So you would say then, generally speaking, the the future of 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 technology is looking is looking very bright in the social housing sector because it's going to create better
1: relationships between customers and their landlords absolutely i think that's that's the key but properly implemented you know there's there's that what we I mean, certainly from our perspective in platform, what we don't want to do is to have that technology barrier between us and our customers. You know, there's a lot of organizations in the private sector where, you know, you are you're you're fighting against it trying to speak to somebody. What we want to do is to make sure it's complemented, that it's so easy to use and it's so um so good that it's the de facto way for people to go because, you know, you're going to get an answer straight away. You'll get the information straight away, but still have those channels for people who don't want to use it. But because you've got a lot of people using the technology, you've got the time to deal with those people out there. I think, you know, moving to a digital only housing association, that's not where we want to be. I'm sure others may look Mm. at it, but that's not where we want to be. We want to have that choice for customers. And it's it's clear that we've got that choice.
0: Well, the great thing about using artificial intelligence and machine learning, those types of technologies, that they're better at making the decision as to, at at what point can I offer a transactional response? And at what point can I give this, you know, Give this customer a great experience by putting them in front of a person who can understand and be empathetic and sympathetic with their circumstances.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing is to give you answers to questions you're not asked yet. That's the that's the frightening thing. You know, when you're using true data science mm. and you're using machine learning to look at data sets and it's pulling out, you know, it might be segments or it might be pulling out outliers. You've got to go and ask the question, what's this actually telling us? And there's probably insights within that data that the artificial intelligence is p- poking out for you that you've never even thought of, you know, around and how you can tailor services. So, you know, as we mature into that space, I think there's a lot of opportunities to be able to use that.
0: Well, I think that's a a great positive note. To end this podcast, so we'll we'll wrap things up there. All that's left for me to say is uh, is, is thank you to John Cocker for joining us, and um, and, and thanks to everyone who's listened to the podcast uh, today. Uh, I if you found any of the yeah, thanks absolutely, John. Uh, really good to have a conversation with you and uh, and find out a bit more about uh, platform and your strategy. Hopefully, other other uh, IT leaders such as yourself will will hear what what you've had to say today. Find some, uh, find some, um, some some really useful nuggets of information in there, and, and hopefully that'll help to bring the sector together and do some more, some more of the benchmarking. I think it's a Absolutely. great idea. I really, really like it. Thank you for listening to the Social Housing Podcast with me, Lewis Murray. We'd love for you to be part of our inclusive community to learn and grow in the social housing space. Go over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, etc and search for the Social Housing Podcast to be in good company with other social housing professionals. Also, feel free to connect with VoiceScape on LinkedIn.